Welcome to the podcast from First Presbyterian Church, Arlington Heights. Our sermon series is called Parallax, where we're going to be looking at topics from the Bible from two different perspectives. I hope you enjoy. So our first scripture reading today comes from Judges 8, 22 to 27. Then the Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us out of the land, out of the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Then Gideon said to them, Let me make a request of you. Each of you give me an earring he has taken as booty. For the enemy had golden earrings, because they were Ishmaelites. We will willingly give them, they answered. So they spread a garment, and each threw into it an earring he had taken his booty. The weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, apart from the crescents and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian and the collars that were on the necks of their camels. Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his town in Opah, or Ophrah. It's not Oprah. I don't know if you know, that's what she was uh, named after. They just forgot the age. So anyways, and all Israel prostituted themselves to it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading today comes from Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 28. Paul writes, Now before faith came, we were in prison and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have closed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is only my second time doing uh, this with Alex, and he's already trusting me with the intro, so let's see how we do. (laughs) Uh, Our sermon series this fall is called Parallax. Now, a parallax is when two people see one object, but they see it from different perspectives, thus changing the object's uh, position to them. Uh, It's usually used in astronomy. So imagine seeing the moon from Chicago and then at the same time seeing the moon from LA. Uh, It would change the position of the moon in the sky for each person. Is it on this side of the Big Dipper or this side of the Big Dipper? That kind of thing. That's essentially a parallax. Uh, We're using that and applying it to the Bible. It is very common for two people to read the scriptures about one topic and come away with two very different understandings. And so each week, two pastors, Alex will always be here and will replace me with Judy every other week, um, will come up here and talk about one topic in the Bible and come at it in two very different ways. Uh, Today's topic is power. Specifically, is it right to have power over other people? And I'm going to start uh, by talking about the verse in Judges that was read. 
Now there's a lot of backstory to this verse, and so I'm gonna give you a little synopsis, because if we read the whole thing, it would take the whole time for the sermon, and I know you guys don't want that. You wanna hear our sermon, right? <laughs> right, that is about the excitement level I was expecting. <laughs> yes, I guess. So back in Judges 6, uh, we are told that the Midianites take over Israel, and they rule over Israel for seven years until the word of the Lord comes to Gideon. And, the, and God says, Gideon, it's time to raise an army and overthrow the oppressors. So Gideon raises an army. He gets about 32,000 men. And God goes, whoa, 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 that's too many men. I need you to knock that number down so that when you inevitably win this war, everyone thinks it's because of me and not because you had the numbers. <laughs> so talk to your people, say if anyone is scared or uneasy, they can go home. And so that's what Gideon does. He says, okay, army, if any of you are afraid or uneasy about this war, you can head on home. And about two-thirds take him up on that offer. So he's left with 10,000 men. Still a pretty good army, but God goes, nope, still too many. Take them down to the water and have them drink from the water. This is a test. You'll see what I'm doing in a minute. So Gideon takes his army down to the water. He has them drink from the water. Now, if you were to drink from a stream or a river or a lake, how would you do it? Would you take your hands and cup the water and bring it to your mouth, both, either two hands or one hand? Or would you take your face and put it directly in the water and lap it up like a dog? One or two, which one would you do? One, two, one. Okay. If you said two, I see one, two. You're in Gideon's army. Good job. So, so God says, the people who put their face in the water and lap it up like a dog, that's who you want in your army. So Gideon sends everyone else home and is left with 300 people. I mean, if only 300 out of 10,000 lap it up like a dog, I feel okay with those numbers. <laughs> 300 people. They wait until night. They surround the Midianite camp, and they basically fool them. They smash pots, and they light torches, and they play trumpets really loud, and the Midianite army thinks there's thousands of them, which there were, but there aren't anymore. So they smash pots, light torches, play trumpets really loud, and the Midianite army runs away. Another example of how bad trumpet playing can clear a room. <laughs> I enjoy that joke too much. <laughs> as soon as I put it in, I laughed. I was a trombone player in high school, so we would always give crap to the trumpet players. <laughs> That's where we come in with our verse. Uh, the army has won, the Midianites have fled, and everyone's like, Gideon, that was awesome. You're so awesome, you should be our leader. And Gideon goes, yeah, no, I don't wanna do that. And then he comes up with some really strange idea. He goes, you know what? Everybody give me one earring that you collected as booty from, from the guys we just beat. And they do, and we're told, that they spread it out on a sheet and he has about 1,700 shekels worth of gold. Now because I don't normally deal in shekels, uh, I looked up the translation of that and it's about 42 and a half pounds of gold. That's a lot of gold. 
So Gideon takes that gold and he makes an ephod out of it. And uh, this is an ephod. It is a breastplate, bre breastplate yeah, a priestly vestment. So priests would wear this kind of breastplate. But because uh, Gideon wasn't their leader, he left a power vacuum. And the people didn't know really what to do, so they started to worship the ephod. You see, that's what happens when there's no leadership, when there's no power structure. We, we seek something out to place in there, in that vacuum. Humans, humans want hierarchy. And because there was nothing there, when there's nothing there, we put things there that are unhealthy for us, like ephods, like idols, like money, like television. And for us, just like for Gideon, it can become a snare. All right. So with that introduction, You're pretty good, I'm going right? to go from there. So I'm going to start by saying that I actually do agree with TC in his basic assumption that humans naturally long for hierarchy. I think that's true. And I would even be willing to give him that in many instances this hierarchy is necessary because you've probably seen societies where they try to do it without hierarchy and what happens is they tend to evolve into chaos. But that's on the macro level. It's like the level above, right? When we're talking about trying to get thousands, tens of thousands, millions of people in order. I wanna talk about this on the micro level, which is do we need hierarchy when it comes to our relationships? So you're probably familiar with the phrase uh, head of the household. You've heard that before, right? Right? Or the person who wears the pants in the family, a little more derogatory, but you know what I'm saying, right? Okay, what's that getting at? What's the idea behind that? Is that you have a person who is more dominant in the relationship, and then you have another person who is more passive in the relationship. You have somebody who's a leader and somebody who's a follower. And many relationships, just so we're clear, they fall into this type of pattern where you have a leader, you have a follower. But the question I would pose to you, is that the healthiest way for us to be conducting our relationships? Is that the best way for us to be conducting our relationships? Because here's what I've found to be true in my time as a pastor and the people who I've spent time with. I've come to notice that when you have this leader-follower dynamic going on in relationships, that ultimately what happens is the follower ends up in a position where their needs, their wants, their desires, their thoughts, their opinions, they end up becoming secondary. They become minimized to this other person who is leading. And depending on the power vacuum that's there, whether the leader is really, really ahead of this other person, then you can find yourself in a situation where literally the follower's identity becomes subsumed into this other person. Now, I think in many situations like that, what can happen is that although some people like that, like some people naturally like, they're like, I want to be minimized, I don't want to do, I mean, TC, you're like that, right? Like you, you definitely do that in your relationship, right? Uh, I was told by my wife to say no. Okay, okay, I see. <laughs> Good answer. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Even though that naturally happens in our relationships, it can lead to anger, it can lead to resentment, and ultimately, if it goes on long enough, it can lead to a rift. Mm. Now, the much harder thing for us to do is to try to suppress that natural urge towards 
that hierarchy of the leader and the follower and to try to treat each other as equals. So in that type of situation, what happens, which is much more challenging, is that the leader has to suppress the desire to dominate and the follower has to become more assertive. Neither of these people are good at this, right? But they have to work towards it. And what I found to be true is that although this is not natural for both of them, when they work hard at that in the relationship, although at first it doesn't tend to work super well, eventually it makes it for a very healthy relationship dynamic. And so what I've seen is that when people work towards this dynamic, not only does it create a relationship where both people are looking out for the needs of the other, but they tend to deal with stress and difficulty in a relationship much, much better. They weather that in much better because what happens is they're really there for each other. And so for me, when I look at that and I see equality makes a relationship work well, I think to myself, well, if that's on the micro level, can't we start moving that equality into other areas of society, even if it requires a lot of work on our part? So divide it, to divide it in, into macro and, and micro is smart. But I think to take something uh, that works at the micro level and try to explode it up to the macro level, it, it doesn't compute all the time. So to take the example of a marriage, uh, we'll take my marriage, the power dynamic <laughs> is obviously that I am the head of the household and Ellen does everything I say. It's a joke, please don't tell her I said that. <laughs> No one, no, no one report to my wife. Uh, the power dynamic is clearly that we are equal in power. No one has power over the other, but we both have power within each other, if that makes sense. But to take that and explode it up to a macro level to say, like, the U.S. government, I don't know if it would work. Imagine if all 329 million Americans sat on Congress. Every vote Everyone needed to say yay or nay. Everyone got to filibuster if they wanted to. It would be chaos. It, it would be probably more productive than what we have now, but <laughs> that's a whole different thing. Bad example. Okay. Let's take the church. The church has leadership. The church has a power dynamic. Session leads the church. Session is made up of members of the church, but not all members of the church sit on session at one time. We trust session to represent the church. We trust session to lead the church, and in doing so, to do what is best for the church. You see, the dynamics of leadership can be healthy. Uh, just because, <laughs> ah, I got it this time. I didn't need your help. <laughs> Last service, Adam had to help me exactly at that point. <laughs> Just because one person has power over the other doesn't mean that the other is automatically diminished or marginalized. Power, when used correctly, can benefit the entire system. That, that's okay. where I end. That's where that's, you yeah. end. Okay. I'm not just forgetting something. <laughs> so, so I would agree with you that uh, power, when used correctly, it can be of a benefit. But, you know, the fact is, is that it still creates value judgments. Power, power creates the idea that one person is more valuable than another. Now, you bring up the church, right? Mm -hmm. All right, so he brought up our church. Smart move on his part. But let's take a different church. Let's use the Roman Catholic Church, which is a church that is really, really based in hierarchy. So, who's at the top of the Roman Catholic hierarchy? 
Pope. Very wow. good. I would have said God, but you guys say whatever you want. <laughs> you guys can go ahead. <laughs> All right, so the Pope is at the top. <laughs> Underneath the Pope, you have cardinals, you have archbishops, you have bishops, priests, and then your everyday Catholics. And even beneath them, even though I didn't include it on there because I ran out of space, it's technically us. We're beneath the, the everyday Catholic because we're not actually part of the church. Now, according to their way of thinking, the Pope is the closest person to God, right? Is that how they think? Yes. TC thinks that way too? But it's not true, okay? <laughs> that, that, he's, that he thinks he's the closest person to God. Well, that's, I'm, I'm the tallest. Yeah, 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 that's how it works. So the Pope is the closest, and every person you do down the line, right, gets a little bit further away from God, right? Until you get to the average Catholic. Now, if the average Catholic wants to get closer to God, what does that average Catholic have to do? They have to go through who? Who's the next person in the, in the line? They gotta go through their priest. Okay, now our church does not operate that way. So in our church, we see it as, you all are just as close to God as we are. We are literally no different from you. You want to get close to God? Go for it. Like nothing's stopping you. We can't get in your way. And the reason we believe that to be true is because of what we read from Galatians. So that verse that we talked about, this is a really important verse where Paul says, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer free or slave. There is no longer male or female for all are one in Christ Jesus. Now, what is he getting at in this? He's getting at the idea that whatever divisions exist in our society, Whatever divisions are there, whatever hierarchy defines your life, that when you come into the church, those things no longer matter. Everybody inside of these walls is equal. And the reason why we're equal is because we all have this shared belief in Jesus. So what does this look like very practically? Practically, what it looks like is when you walk through these doors, whatever your background, whether you're wealthy or poor, whether you're black, white, brown, whether you have accolades behind your name or accomplishments or you've been to prison, that ultimately you are equal. Those things don't matter. Now, functionally, does that always happen? No, it doesn't. Equality doesn't happen by itself, does it? It takes work on our part to make sure that every single person who walks through our doors feels as though they are being treated with dignity and respect. We've talked about this. This is something we have to work towards. However, we can do it if we continually focus on that principle of equality through Jesus. So equality in the eyes of God, equality in opportunity and respect and dignity are not mutually exclusive from power dynamics. I agree with you that we tend to see people who have more power as more valuable, but that that's a problem with our mentality, not a problem with the power structure. We crave leadership. Oh, it's right up there for me. And what is leadership? Man, you, you really helped me out with these slides. What is leadership if not power? The power to persuade, the power to teach, the power to guide, the power to influence. You see, our, our verse in Judges showed us that, and, and we live that out every day. L let me give you an example. Back in 2006, I went to a camp conference uh, because I thought I was going to be a camp director at the time. Didn't pan out, but who knows, maybe in the future. Uh, so I went to a camp conference, and I went to a workshop 
called Games to Keep in Your Back Pocket. Essentially, it's a game for you to have in case you are 10 minutes out from the next activity and you have 20 kids and you're like, all right, what do I do now with all of these children? It's just a game you can pull out and have fun for 10 minutes before they go make a campfire. Um, so I went to that workshop and I sat against the wall with 20 other people who were there and the teacher never showed up. So I waited 15 minutes, which in college I learned was the allotted amount of time <laughs> that you're supposed to wait and then class is officially canceled. After 15 minutes, uh, people started to get real restless. They were like, okay, sh should I go to another workshop to try and get something out of this hour? Should I wait? I don't want to miss this class if the person does come. And so I stood up and I said, hey, we all have one or two of these games already. Why don't we teach each other? That is exactly what I got. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> and they were just staring at me and I was like, okay, Clarification, I'm not the teacher, and I'm not trying to like teach you something about leadership or anything like that. I just don't think they're coming, so maybe we should do this ourselves. Same, got that again, <laughs> silence. So I was like, okay, let's play a game. And I led a game or two. And then I actually physically had to say, okay, how about you? do you have a game in your back pocket? I know you wouldn't. You wouldn't have even been at that workshop. <laughs> Luckily, it wasn't you. It was someone else. Uh, and they were like, oh, yeah, I do this. And then after they were done, I had to do that with the next person and the next person. I had to lead every time there was a lull. And I, to this day, think that if I wasn't there at that moment, if I didn't do what I had done, nothing would have happened. We need leadership, we crave leadership. And I was about to go back to what is leadership if not power, but that's not this part. <laughs> we crave leadership, I'm going to cheat. Mm, yeah, yeah, we crave hierarchical <laughs> systems, that's it. We crave leadership, we crave power, we crave hierarchical systems, and because, because we crave it, because it's innate in who we are, I don't think that we should get rid of it but instead work within it and make it beneficial to everyone in the system. Power and leadership is such that those who have power listen and support those who they have power over, and in that way everyone in the system feels heard and feels protected. This is how Jesus led his disciples. He taught them, he led them, Sometimes he rebuked them when they needed it, but he also supported them and built them up, encouraged them to go beyond their comfort zones, and they did so much more than they would have ever done without Jesus in their lives. That's the kind of power and leadership and hierarchy that we need. It's power with compassion. It's leadership with love. All right, so I'm going to push you back a little bit. And I'm going to ask, when you were, when you were at that conference mm -hmm. and you uh, had the opportunity to stand up in front of everybody and ask them, you know, to lead them, what compelled you to do that? Uh, probably because I love attention. <laughs> but uh, no, because it was, <laughs> that's a joke. Um, <laughs> 
is because I wanted to get something out of it, and I, I felt like if someone didn't do it, if someone didn't stand up, then it would just be a waste. Because no, but nobody else was doing it, right? right. So, no so there's clearly something it. about you that was different from the rest of those people sitting in that room, that you were willing to take control of the situation, right? Yeah. Now, the reason I bring that up is because here's the thing about power. Power, unfortunately, even when it's used in the right, right ways that we're talking about, mm -hmm. I think the issue is, is that the reason why power structures get all out of whack for us is because we really do conflate power with value. So if by taking over that class, if you had sat there and said, I am now more valuable than you, right? Because I can take it over. That's a problem, right? Yeah. Similar to you guys. So you all come here every week and you give us power to preach, do you not? I mean, that's a power that you, that you give to us. Now, if by giving us that power, you see us as having more value than you, then that opens the door for abuse of that power. Vice versa, if TC and I, if we actually get up here and we say, oh, we have all this power and we're more valuable than you and we believe that, then that opens the door for temptation for us to abuse our power. And so when all of us, when you all and the two of us, when we see power as something that requires responsibility, that needs to be used with caution, then I think that changes the dynamic completely. Because then we can use power for equality. So let me continue on with this whole thing that we're sitting here. So when you guys come here, does anybody force you to come to church on Sunday to listen to us? No. no. At first service, though, it was hilarious. There was, <laughs> this little boy was like. <laughs> it was my nephew. It was, it was his nephew. <laughs> like right on target. So, so the fact, but when you're an adult, right, you're clearly choosing to be here, are you not? I mean, you're not, nobody's forcing you to come and listen to the message. And I think the reason why a lot of times you're making that choice to come here is because the way we use our power and our words is to build you up. Like what we're trying to do here every single week is to help you understand the potential that God has for you and how valuable you are to God, to yourself, and to other people. Now, that dynamic works really well because essentially what's happening is you give us the power and we try to give it right back to you. Now, that's power of equality. And the reason why we do that is because we preach equality. It's all that we talk about in here much of the time is that through the scriptures, we are equal to each other. And what's fascinating about that is we often think that what happens in here, right, it just stays in here and it doesn't go anywhere. But the fact is, is that what we do in here it helps us to maintain a healthy balance of power out in the world. And I want to give you an example of this, a very short anecdote. I heard a story from Clay Christensen. He's a professor at Harvard Business School. And he was talking about how this Marxist economist from China came over to America to study at the Harvard Business School. And eventually they sat down and they were having a conversation with each other. And he said something, this Marxist economist, that really caught Clay Christensen off guard. He said, you know, I never realized until I came to America how important religion is to the function of American society. And Clay Christian was like, well, hold on a second, what are you talking about? And he said, well, you see, when I was over in China, I would always kind of look at America and I was in awe because you all allow the government to have power over you without the threat of violence. And he's like, that's not the way it is in China. In China, the reason why we follow the government is because the government can hurt us. 
but you all don't operate that way. And he said, I never understood why you were willing to do that. And then when I got here, I saw how important religion was in your society. How many people went to churches, synagogues, mosques? And he's like, it's because you all are constantly teaching those values of morality, those values of equality of human dignity, that it actually gets out into the fabric of your society and it makes a big difference. And so when I heard that, I was like, oh wow, this is really interesting. Because for a long time, I'll be honest with you, I had kind of a closed view. What we do in here kind of stays in here, we try our best to do it. But when I heard that, I was like, oh no, what we do in here, it really does make a difference out in the world. It's actually what makes our society function as a free and democratic society. I mean, it's, what it, it's, it's part of what we do in here. And the reason why that's so important, follow me on this, is that TC's right. We naturally go towards hierarchy. We naturally want somebody to lead us. And it's very, very easy for those power dynamics to go out of whack. Equality is not a natural state for us. It really does take work. We're always looking for who has power over the other person. Two weeks from now, we're going to have Derek Black in this sanctuary. Now, he was affiliated with the white supremacy movement. Now, white supremacy, what is it based on? What's the concept behind that idea? Is that the white European race is at the top of the hierarchy, and that all these other races underneath it are less than. And thus, that is why white Europeans should have all the power. Now that, unfortunately, comes out of this natural place that we have this desire for hierarchy. Now, I think everybody in here, we would say, that's wrong, right? And the work we do in this building to break down all of those hierarchies, that's really important because when you practice inside of this room, treating people with dignity and respect, particularly people who are very different from you, that makes a huge difference outside of these walls. You are the ones who are changing our society. And we live in a society today where I believe the power differential, it's not the way that it should be. And you all can change that. And you know what it takes to change it? It takes not just sitting here and saying, yeah, I believe in equality. How many people believe in equality? Raise your hand if you believe in equality. Of course you do, right? Who doesn't? But to live it out, much harder, much harder. To treat everyone equally, that's hard to do. And we do that inside of these walls. We practice that in here. And so my prayer for you today is that as you leave, that you might really hold in your heart the words that we read from Galatians. When Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, free nor a slave, male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus, that you not only believe that, but you live it out. Because when you live it out, you truly will change our society for the better. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.